0: Would you pray for us? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we just think that we can be here, that we can learn um, more of you, and hopefully be conformed into your likeness, and I just pray that you um, give like um, clarity as he speaks, and that he will communicate well. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have you guys ever done a class on just the doctrine of scripture? No. No. Is that what we're doing now? What's that? Well, what are we doing well, we're going to do like an Old Testament survey, but before we start with a survey of the Old Testament, you know, I, th- there's some doctrinal stuff that we have to cover. Which book is that one? This oh, is how the do to How to Read I the, read the, I the, read the Bible for All It's Worth. Do you need you, it? I've got it somewhere. Okay, well, you, do you need a copy? Yes, please. And if I okay. find my copy? We hand that to I would gladly <laughs> So then when we actually do the survey of the Bible itself, these are the other books. So this is called Unfolding Grace. So it's 40 reading, guided readings through the Bible. Hmm. And then it has a study guide. So oh, there you go. Thank you. I also have this, and it's a Gordon Pitt book, How to Read Each Book. How to Read the Book. Each how, to read, how to Read, yeah, he has another one. It's yeah, called How to I Read the Bible have by Book by Book. on my shelf. Yeah, there you go. So here's the other one. If you guys have these, this is the 40 readings. Unfolding Grace. And those, did you give us links? To yeah, look at that. I did give you links. But if you need. Crosswing, what's that? That's uh, the order? I'm just showing. The grace. Okay, oh, well you got to look at those. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to get this all done before June. Or uh, July, yeah. Well, um, we're going to do the Old Testament. Does this come in a soft cover? like a <laughs> uh, I actually don't think it does. So, so I can bend it, you know, when I need? Yeah. No, no, no. you got to just hold it up. <laughs> That's too hard. All right. The doctrine of scripture. So, um, before we, right, the, the point of this course, I was excited about it because biblical literacy is a problem with modern Christians. We're illiterate when it comes to the Bible. So, before we just go diving into Genesis 1, I think it's important to talk about what, it, what are the scriptures? What are they? What is the Bible? Um, how did it come to be? So uh, we, we it's were a, myth. Yes, a myth. It's a myth? Yes, it's a myth. Be nice. No, I remember this. <laughs> so we want to understand uh what scripture is on scripture's own terms. And and this this is gonna be um, something that we come to understand is circular argument. There's a circular argument when it comes to the scriptures. How do we know that they are the voice of God? Because they tell us so. Okay? And then people say, Well wait wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. And and I just want to point out right out of the gate that this is um this is the way it is, and it has to be this way because it's, it, you know, it's self-evidently the re- the self-revelation of the living God. Okay, and there's there's no way to judge right whether that is true or not. You either receive it or you don't. Right. Um, and so, if anyone ever says to you well, your argument about scripture is circular, you say it's yes. Yeah. It is. yeah amen. Um, and it has to be okay. So, but but the way it works with um, doctrines is that. Uh, You either You either in systematic uh, Reformed theology Start with theology proper So you start with God himself Or you start with the word of God Okay And I um, sent out links To two different confessions The Westminster Confession starts with The very first chapter is on the doctrine of God Or the doctrine of scripture And you also have the Belgic Confession Which actually starts with the doctrine of God Now I prefer this method it doesn't make sense to me that you would just start talking about the Word of God without first talking about who God is, okay? So if you're talking about God, then you're talking about the fact that he is a self-revealing God. He reveals himself, okay? So then you go from the doctrine of God to the doctrine of revelation. He reveals himself. And you get from the doctrine of revelation to the doctrine of Scripture. This is how I think it ought to go And this is more the Dutch Reformed way I, I think when you start with the word of God You have a problem You have a problem with Because what, who says the word of God is anything Right, you start with who God is And, and part of who he is Is a is God who reveals himself And then how does he reveal himself Well he reveals himself um, Partially through scripture But before we talk about this doctrine We've got to go back and talk about this one The self-revelation of God would you just explain to me what is the difference if you start with the word of God? Well, it's just – it's, it's uh, tr- traditionally um, divines choose one or the other. When they, when they start talking about systematic theology, they begin either with God himself or his word. Uh-oh. And it's just one of those things in Reformed theology, you, 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 if you look at all the confessions side by side, they start with one of those. Okay? So I'm of the school that we start with God. Okay. And it's just, I think it makes more sense, logically So, the Belgic Confession um, Has a, a fascinating section Section 2 of the Belgian Confession I'm just going to read it to you, okay you, And you tell me um, You're going to re- then answer some questions about it, okay It says, we know him by two means And by him it, it means God We know God by two means First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe Which is before our eyes as a most elegant book wherein all creatures, great and small, are as many characters leading us to see clearly the invisible things of God, even his everlasting power and divinity, as the Apostle Paul says, all which things are sufficient to convince men and leave them without excuse. Second, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. That is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to his glory and our salvation. So essentially, I like the way the Belgian Confession states it because they refer to two books. There are two books: the book of nature, and then the scriptures. And I think that um, I think that that is, first off, very poetic, right? Did you guys ever think of, the, of nature as a book to be read? Well, if you go to the yeah the Word of God in, in, in the very beginning, God it says God spoke the world into being. So, he spoke the world into being. So, everything you see are his words. So, it makes sense that they would refer to it as a book. Um, and what they're saying is that there you read, you read in nature about the divine attributes of God. Now, what is a divine attribute of God that you, right? Something about God that you can read in nature. You, you looking at the book of nature. His creativity. Okay, creativity, right? He's a he's a very poetic, imaginative God. Clearly. Um, His sense of humor. (laughs) Squirrels prove his sense of humor. Okay. What else? What else can we read there? Powerful. Powerful, right? Mm -hmm. And you might go a little bit dangerous. (laughs) Yes. Amen. Amen. So that's what we're going to start off talking about, is these two books, the book of nature and the book of scripture. And I think it's very important to understand this: this is how God reveals himself. So if you open your Bibles to Genesis 1, uh, I'm I'm going to write an essay someday about how every major Christian doctrine can be found in the first three chapters of Genesis, uh, because I believe that that is true. Genesis 1... Verses 28 and 29. 28 and 29. Okay, this is what it says. It says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, and I'm going to stop there. So right here in chapter 1, the, the first words that are spoken, right, are God in creation, creating the world. The second words that he speaks, right, the, the next time we see him speaking, is to man. The band is really that. Okay, so in the first chapter of the biblical story, we see that God's words to man are commands, right? If you look at this, it says, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So what, what it doesn't say, right, there's no portion here where God has to teach man language, God speaks and man understands him. Um, that, that's the first thing. God is or makes man able to receive revelation from him. That, that's how he made him. He doesn't have to do anything else to mature him to that point. The second thing is that what the parental authority that we see inherent in this. God says, be fruitful and multiply. It's, he's not asking him to do something. He's not suggesting him to do something. He's not asking to be worshipped. There's all kinds of things he's not asking. But he's commanding him to go into the world and to rule it, to do it, fill it, just as God has done. Right In the first chapter, God speaks, and what he is doing is filling the world. He fills it, and he governs it. And so now he's telling Adam to fill it and govern it. So God is speaking in the imperative mode. Man in his relationship to the Almighty is first summed up to be one of obedience. Okay, now, if you go, uh, if you look, yeah, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, you go back, we see that, oh no, wait, hold on, uh, is it chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. you want to read those for us? You're going to have to. I'll just read it because it's really It's loud. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Okay, now this is, this is, so here is natural revelation. Adam sees all the animals, and he and by observing the book of nature, it is revealed to him that he is missing something. Okay, he only comes to know this by observing nature. And this actually is before God speaks commands to him. So you see that, that, that both books of, of God's revelation, nature and scripture, are there in the first chapter of Genesis and man is learning about God and his expectations because he knows that he is missing something, so then he receives a wife, and then he receives commands about what to do with that wife. Okay. Here's a helper, and then he's told how to use the helper. And he, he comes to find out that he has a helper by looking at animals. And, and this is how the two books of God's Revelation are supposed to work. It's right there in the first chapter of Genesis. Okay, so he... That's the race of words? How to use... Her properly? The proper use you of a use, woman? Use her? Yeah. Like, that's very naked. Well, no, but in Romans it says that men don't give up the proper use of a woman, it says. And so what is the proper use of a woman? Well, a proper use of a woman, Laura, is to, as is, is the weaker vessel, you receive this gold, and, and, and it is to make a crown. Okay, that, that is the proper use of a woman, is to make a crown. And so don't, just, don't be offended by that choice of words. You have to have the whole syllogism laid out before you, okay? But Paul talks about the proper use and the improper use of women, of men, of nature. And I think that what we have is we, we don't want to talk about it this way, and that actually is a problem for us. Um, we were just having a discussion yesterday. I observed a woman that I, my opinion of her was that no one knows what her proper use was. Right? She's, she's being misused she, she's out, she, she doesn't know what she's for and people don't know what she's for and I think in Genesis Adam learns this by looking at animals, okay, he sees the, the, the joy, he sees the fun he sees them prancing around, he sees all the fun that they're having and he thinks that something is missing in his life <laughs> then he receives her and then God says, okay, now, now that you have your helper, now I can tell you so he, he can't even receive God's Special revelation Until he first has Eve By his side Okay, He's not even prepared To listen to God and his commands Until he has Eve by his side I think that that we could go off quite a bit on that Okay so turn to Psalm 19 Psalm 19 And we're going to look again at the, these two books That we're giving okay psalm 19 okay so if you look at psalm 19 verses 1 through 6 are about the book of nature Mm -hmm. and then the second half of the psalm uh 7 through 11 especially is about the book of scripture Okay, so here, here again, this is where this idea comes from in the confession about two books. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to highlight a few things. Okay, we're not going to read the whole thing. In verse one, it says the heavens declare, okay, the glory of God. Uh, it says proclaim. It says day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. Uh, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The voice, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So. What I'm doing is highlighting the revelatory portion of this, right? You look at the sun, you look at the glory of the heavens, you're looking at the book of nature, and what you can read there is a proclamation about who God is and what he intends, uh, how he intends to use the world. What is it for? Okay, what, what, what is man for? What is the world for? It's to be fruitful, to rejoice, to receive. Okay, then you look at the second book, starting in verse 7, And and what do we see there? It says the law of God, the precepts of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, and and then he refers to them as much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. So these two books, the book of nature and the book of God's divine written word, are the two books by which we govern our lives. So um, this is partially uh, how I've come to understand this, this problem that people present, where they say, well, you can't learn everything from the Bible. Uh, and you say, okay, um, it's true. I cannot figure out how to do heart surgery. <laughs> it's not in the book of Proverbs. But the book of Proverbs tells me, right, if I, use, I can use Scripture and understand that once I can cut someone open and, and do surgery and not kill them, what is the proper use of that? Okay, what, what do I do it, what, what is it for? Well, it's to not abortions, right, but to actually heal people. And so what I like about the way the Confession explains it is you have, it's, this isn't the only book, okay? Uh, all, all, of, all of the things that we learn, right, about cars and combustible engines and how to make um, plastics, right? This is man going out in the natural world and reading there things that, that, are, that he learns about taking dominion of the world. Okay, somebody figured out the mathematical equation for lift so that an airplane can take off and travel from one destination to another destination. We read that there and, and there 's a great deal about this in Lewis and the cosmology that he presented from the Middle Ages where there's the heavens are there's music in the heavens and and the, and the the natural world is a book that we are reading that we need to learn how to read properly and this is how man has discovered all the good things that he has discovered okay, but without the second book (laughs) the book about God's laws uh, man can go into nature and learn all kinds of things and and use it, misuse it um, and not use it properly okay, any questions? okay, how many books of Revelation are there? God's self-revelation. How many books are there? One. Two. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were talking about scripture. No, what no. Scriptures are there. In, in, when, when it comes to the doctrine of self-revelation, okay. carefully. No. So the doctrine of self-revelation. How many books are there? Two. 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 Okay. <laughs> now there's something else that we learned uh, from the prophet. My question. Yeah that kind of applies they're equal I, I go with scripture like 90, 90. well they are equal but one is, in, one is not sufficient to teach us about salvation which we're going to come to okay, they, but, but what's important is I'm going to say they are equal uh, I, and not everyone would agree with that within the reformed world but I, I believe it's perfectly orthodox to say that they are equal that one is not sufficient for salvation which we'll come to Okay, now turn to Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. Uh, verse 8 through 3, 3. 8 through 3? No. Chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 3. Oh. It's the kick drum. Again, I'll, I'll read this, okay? Okay. Yeah. So, this is the call of Ezekiel. So, this is how a prophet is called. Okay, beginning in verse 8. It says, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, uh, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Now in order for Ezekiel, he's he's being called to be, To the office of prophet, but before he can go and speak to the nation, he first must receive the word of God himself. And we see that this scroll is nourishing; it's full. It's written on the front and the back. He can discern lamentation, mourning, and woe. He can read it; it's clear. It's not confusion. It's not written in the angel of the or the language of the angels, um, or some language that man cannot discern. And he does eat it, and it goes down into his belly. It fills him. It is nutritious, and it is as sweet as honey. And that's what it was talking about in Psalm 19. This is what the Word of God is. So it is something to be eaten, right? Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every Word of God. It is food. And if you are going to feed others, you first must feed yourself, okay? And I think part part of this class, part of biblical literacy, the point of being... Uh, good at reading the Bible <laughs> and understanding it is so that you can feed it to others right? You, the, the job of the, the church leaders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and, and what is the work of ministry? It's feeding one another the word of God and you can't do that unless you yourself are eating it and, unless it's nourishing and clear and filling and, and you're getting out of it what you're supposed to. Okay, any questions? Okay So now we're going to go back to the two books for a second. And Westminster Confession, Chapter 1, Section 1, reads, this is what it says. It says, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Okay? So we can read in the book of nature all kinds of things about God, but what we will not read there is his name. Okay? He, he is revealing, it's, it's like watching a person, um, like observing a person from a distance. If I'm people watching at the fair, I can learn a great deal about a person, but merely by observing them from a distance, I cannot learn their name. Okay. Yes, it's like stitched on there. Okay. Yes, there are exceptions to every metaphor. <laughs> okay? Unless somebody standing there calls out to them, right? No. Right. But I can't just watch a person and figure out their name. So as I'm watching nature and I'm learning about God and I'm learning about what kind of um, deity He is, that He exists. I have no excuse to say He doesn't. What I will never figure out is that His name is Jesus, right? The One who saves. I, I will not know Him as Yahweh. I, I can't. I can't discern that. And, and I think this is, this is the protection when it comes to, to trying to elevate nature as much as I'm trying to. You've, right, it only goes so far, and then it's not going to get you there. You're not going to figure out that Jesus dies for your sins by looking at, at the forest. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so that's very important to remember. And, th- and this is why they, they call this, the scripture, special revelation. This is natural revelation. This is special revelation. And the reason it's special is because there are things that you can learn only there. Okay? I can learn things, the same kinds of things I learned from the book of nature in the book of Scripture. But there are things I I can only learn in the book of Scripture. Does this make sense? Okay. So uh, what's really important then, (coughs) we're going to go on here, is that it is um, the voice of God... Okay, the voice of God, the written word, the written word. Okay, the, so in between here, right here, is the apostles and prophets. So it, the, the written word is the voice of God, but there is, there is a, a mediation. And through which it occurs, there's a there's a men were used to write down the scriptures, and and this is what the confession goes on to say. Okay, and and I'm going to just continue reading in the Westminster Confession. It says, therefore, please the Lord at sundry times, and in divers manners. Okay, that that automatically I got to stop and explain that. At sundry times and divers manners, uh, at at various times and in various ways. That's essentially what that means. At sundry times and divers divers manners to reveal himself and to declare that his his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and, and of the world to commit the same holy unto writing which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased Okay, so I'm going to go back and let's just this is why the Word of God was written down. It was written down for preserving and propagating the truth, to establish and comfort the church against the corruption of both the flesh and the malice of Satan, to commit the same holy unto writing which, um, which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary. Okay. So the Word of God establishes the church. The church does not establish the Word of God. There's a reason they said this. And the reason that they said this in the confession is because... The Roman Catholics say that they are the ones who determine what Scripture is and is not, and how it's interpreted. And the Protestants said, well, excuse me, okay, the Word of God establishes the church, okay, and, and Scripture interprets itself. Okay, when when you're, so who wrote it? God, by the Holy Spirit. When we're reading it, how do we come to understand it? The Holy Spirit. The same one who led the men in writing it is the one who leads us in understanding it. Okay, it is self- revelatory That's what it means. It, it, there's no, we don't stand over it to judge it. We don't stand over it to measure it. And we come to measure other things with it. Okay, now all of this stuff that I've talked about in the confession is found in scripture. So we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says, it says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, okay, whom, he, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Okay. So God used to speak to us by the prophets, but now he speaks to us through his Son. And, and what they're, what they're to, um, the distinction there is between the Old and New Testaments. So in the Old Testament, it was the prophets. And in the New Testament, it's Jesus. Okay? So the, the, the um, Gospels are about what? Jesus. Okay? And, and the epistles of the apostles, who, who, who gave them the word, who, who instructed them, who explained the Old Testament to them. The, and we don't understand that the, after the Gospels, the rest of the New Testament is really a commentary on the Old Testament and a commentary on the Gospels. That's what they're doing. They're explaining what they mean. And, it's, and, and as we learn from the Gospels themselves, they all learned how to do this from Jesus himself. He is the one now who's guiding us in understanding what the Word of God means. Okay? But he used to talk to us in all kinds of ways, <laughs> at all kinds of times, to the prophets. Mm-hmm. And you go back in the Old Testament, you see it's true, right? God, God appears to Eli, God appears to Samuel, God appears to Moses, God appear, like, He comes to Ezekiel, He feeds him this scroll. So he's constantly going around revealing himself to these people. Well, now, it's through, it's in the New Testament era, it's through Jesus. Okay, so Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4. This is what it says. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Okay, So what was written in former days He's talking about the Old Testament Was written down for our instruction So that we would be encouraged and have hope mm-hmm. So uh, Augustine called the Jews The book, uh, bookshelf people they, they, were, they were A bookshelf people So as they went they, they carried forth the scriptures from, and, they, and they protected them They guarded them They, co- they collected them They edited them they, they did all the things that we needed So that they could hand them down to us for our instruction And for our encouragement Okay now, I'm going to skip to 1 Peter, and I'm just going to read this large section here from, from chapter 1 of that. So just this, this is, tells us a great deal as, as well about the scriptures. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he pre- predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now what I like about this is it tells us that the Old Testament was written and they themselves did not understand what they were writing. So so David sits down and David says, you know, I've, been, I've had a really difficult time lately and I'm going, to write a, I'm going to write a song about it. So he sits down and he writes this powerful song that later are the very words of Christ on the cross. Okay? And David, I do not believe, realized what he was doing. He didn't understand it. Right? He's writing down things and he thinks he's talking about some king in the ancient Near East and, and, and events happening in his, his life. Not realizing that what he's actually talking about is the Lord Jesus Christ, and and I think it's a very powerful statement that that we are able to look into things that the writers themselves do not understand, and that the angels long to look in and don't understand. And I think C.S. Lewis does a good job with this with the angels in his stories, um, in the space trilogy, the the Ransom trilogy, they're, they're asking like what is this weird, what is this crazy thing that we've heard, or born Yahweh became a man And like ate stuff <laughs> And like they're, they're, they're very mystified As to what occurred on earth When Jesus came And I think that, that, that this is where he gets this idea They long to look into things That you, you can open this, this book And you will, you will go back to say Ezekiel And you will understand what is written there Better than Ezekiel did And, and angels themselves do not even understand it. And I think that we don't under, right, You come to understand this I think it changes the way we think about the scriptures. It, it is something that we, right, common, everyday, run-of-the-mill people, understand better than the prophets of old. We understand better than the angels who stand before God all day long, crying, holy, 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 okay? And that is a great gift, and it is something not to be uh, handled without care and without gratitude, okay? Now, in Luke chapter one, Can verse- Can Question. Yeah. is a is... Is our understanding because we have the New Testament and they did not? Is that part of it? Yeah, because Christ has come. Christ is the one who explained to the apostles what it was all about. And then he himself gave us his Holy Spirit so that we could open them and understand it. Okay, so next week when we talk about hermeneutics, the interpretive principle, what is the key that unlocks all the mysteries of the Bible? Okay, and the key is Jesus. Mm-hmm he, that's why it says they used to explain things in all kinds of different ways to the prophets, now it's Jesus who explains them, Mm -hmm. his spirit resides in us and we open these things and we understand them better than the the authors and at times this is what I find fascinating, better than the apostles right, we if you go back and you read the the gospels before they received the Holy Spirit we understand what's going on better than the apostles did at, at the time that it was happening, yeah yeah. Could you just comment How is it that we understand better than angels It seems like they in a position Well I think, think it tells us Yeah I think it tells us something About their being okay? it's, He says they long to look into it okay? they, don't, they don't It's a matter that they do not understand And I think it's because it's too This is how I was recently Explaining it They are at once more co- complex beings than we are In the sense of, of their physical bodies Okay, they don't, they don't, they're not like us. They appear like light. Uh, they're terrifying. Right? If you look at actual paintings of them, they're covered in eyeballs and they have the heads of eagles. Right? It's, they're, they're crazy, complex beings. At the same time, they're simpler than we are. They are not made in the image of God. They do not have the ability, I think, to, um, to reason and to uh, understand things the way we do. So they, they are very simplistic-minded their their job they go to and fro obeying god and that's all they care about right it's not complicated for them they don't need an explanation like the, the angels don't get together in heaven and have one of them preach to them about understanding the word of god better <laughs> god merely says go to earth and do x and they go gabriel comes and tells mary that she's having a baby and then he goes back before the throne of god he's very simplistic even though he's more complicated than we are in being Does that make sense? sense. So I think, yeah, they they sit down with the book of Romans and they're like, what do you you mean, Paul, that you do things that you don't want to do? I think that's too complicated for them. They think, well, God said it, and so you do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that most people... don't have our choice, I guess. Yeah, they don't have the ability to make decisions. They don't have the ability to think for themselves. I I mean, I think that they they are created without that function. Except... Well, they did, they did have a choice at the beginning. Or, yes, yes, they were given a choice. Well, once they made that choice, thinking then they were set in that path. Yeah, but uh, wow, it seems to me that if Satan is cunning, he's a thinking being. Yeah, but uh, that, but, but the, the other thing is, there's a difference within the hierarchy of angels. So I'm talking about common, just like your common run of the mill ones. So the archangels so or the, the uneducated ones. Yeah. Right? Well I mean the council of heaven. High school dropouts. Right. <laughs> the ones who didn't quite make it through the college vegan. No. So I mean so there's there's, you know, Seraphim and Cherubim, we know that. But then there's also what they call the Council of Heaven. And and this we're not gonna get too far into this, but um, this, these are deep waters. Joel explains this better than I do. Um, but but there there is at say the start of the book of Job Satan is there and he clearly is functioning different than say the angels in God's throne room the angels in God's throne room are just about singing his praises and obeying his word Satan, you're right, is different somehow where he said, God says well what have you been up to and he goes well you know I've been kind of going around uh, doing stuff and then he says well have you considered my son Job and Satan's like "Ah, why would I do that Right? so he's conversing with God in a somewhat different way I think when Michael shows up in Ezekiel as well, he explains things in, in a different way. But those are the council of heaven angels; they're like the higher angels, not, not the run of the mill. Like every time they talk about the throne room of God, and there's these angels there, they are very simplistic beings. They sort of have, like a dog; you say come, the dog comes, and you say go, the dog goes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. The brain of a dog. I'm, that's pretty young. And if you think about it. <laughs> Laura's very skeptical. Well, you teach a class on anything, Laura will be skeptical about stuff. Devil's advocate. <laughs> well, it's true, but I mean, so but then even when you talk about Satan, um, there is something to the revelation of God in the Old Testament and the fact that he's he's clearly hiding things. Well, why is he hiding things? He's hiding things because what he doesn't want is Satan to figure them out. He. he there's mysteries in the scriptures because he's trying to not reveal his plan because the enemy has access to his plan. At the same time, if Satan is so smart and so clever and so cunning, how is it that he was he so completely misunderstood who God is and what he was going to do? So so my, my whole thing is there's there there is a hierarchy amongst the angels and there are just common run of the mill angels and they are more simplistic than we are. And I think even Satan looks at the gospels and longs to understand. I think he doesn't understand them. And I think if he did understand them, he wouldn't be right, he he wouldn't have fallen. Oh, he wouldn't well, be... Another thing to consider is that the angels aren't omnipresent, um, like Yeah. God is, right? And so the universe is very large, Yeah. and so only the angels who were like directly involved with Jesus' life and his ministry would have even seen what was going, what on. Was going on. So I mean, they they could probably talk to themselves or whatever, but there's so many angels all over the world Yeah. that wouldn't have... Because like, we think, oh, it happened on earth. Why wouldn't they all have known it and seen it and experienced it while it was happening? But they could be, right? right. And there's an assumption that angels are, whoever, whoever, right? that they're all knowing and and they're everywhere at once. And so they comprehend things like God does, but But it's it's just not not true. There is is a, a, a varying degree of comprehension amongst them. But for the most part, the angels in heaven that serve God, like they come and help Jesus after he's been out in the wilderness fighting Satan. They come and they minister to him, comfort. And, and I think that that's it. They go, they comfort Jesus, they go back to him. It's not, they don't go wandering around like the fallen angels. Why are they going from people to people, inhabiting things, like wandering around? Like it's all very strange how the fallen angels re- are reacting to things versus the angels of God are, are more like um, servants. Okay, so last but not least, we have Luke chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And in that, Luke says, uh, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Okay? So one of the things that um, we have to embrace is the fact that, because now we're going to talk about how the scriptures were written. Okay? Okay. The way inspiration works, people get very confused about this, okay? So Ezekiel the prophet didn't sit down at a typewriter, um, plug, plug into the matrix, and start free-form free writing in the book of Ezekiel. Yeah, that's not that's not how it works. And I think Luke tells us a little something about how the process actually looked. He interviewed people, he read things, he listened to sermons, he looked up stuff, he collected a lot of information, and then decided what to put in and what not to put into the gospel of uh, the Deuteronomistic history is the same thing. There are books that we don't, we no longer have, but the prophets sat down and said, you know what? Let's let's make an orderly account of all this stuff. Um, same thing with the Psalter. Okay, the Psalter is taken from several books and it's collected into one thing by the prophets. And so we say, well, David wrote them. Well, okay, David wrote a large portion of them. He didn't write all of them, and he didn't edit all of them. And I think when you start talking about the scriptures were edited, people. People get a little uncomfortable. Now, what I don't mean is that there was a, like, God came down out of heaven with the book of Ezekiel and said, here you go, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's like, you know what, I think I'm going to mess with this a little bit. The workout seems heavy. Um, That's not what I mean. But some of the prophets, when they're compiling the ancient books of the Old Testament, actually had to sit down and, and decide what to leave out and what. And you see their fingerprints all over the place. You know, they, they i was just reading in Genesis. They refer to something that happened. That oh, there's um, a grave for Jacob's wife, and it's still here to this day. They say. Well, who wrote that? Moses? Did Moses write that? Who—who—who who, who adds those little flourishes? Okay. So, um, yeah. So it's—it's it's important to understand that that the, the various books of the Bible were written very differently from one another. It's not exactly consistent between all of them, right? Ruth um, is just a straightforward story. The book of Jonah was written by Jonah, and it is just a straightforward story about what happened to him. I, I don't think that that book was compiled out of a whole bunch of story, right? various things that Jonah had. But the book of First and Second Samuel was compiled that way. Okay? A, bunch, a bunch of sources were used, and they made one final book, and then they received it amongst the prophets, and that's been the book ever since. And, and in the Dead Sea Scrolls, actually, they found an extraordinarily ancient copy of Isaiah, Um, and it was like from several hundred years BC and then they compared it to the scrolls that or the the manuscripts that we use now and it it was almost verbatim the same and I think that that proves a very special point about the scriptures and how they've been handed down to us and protected Um, because you know a thousand years practically of of time goes by and and you have this this copy of Isaiah and this copy of Isaiah and they're practically the same I mean that's not how it works with any other document. Okay, uh, the book, the works of Plato. That's not how it works. Right? You get very, very different versions. Um, it's much harder to figure out what, what actually was written by Plato or not. Um, the scriptures don't have that problem. Okay. We're running out of time. What time is it? Quarter to I think. Okay. Do you guys have any questions? I'm still trying to figure out how much of this we're going to get through. We may have to just stop there. Any questions about the Bible? Okay, what? That's <laughs> an open question. What are the two uh, books of self of God's self-revelation? Nature. Nature. Nature scripture. I got to write this okay, time. Are they equal? Yes. Yes, yes and no. Yes and no. That's a good. That's a good way of saying it. Yes and no. Yes, they are, but one. Um, but they're used very differently. I think that the, the this is what. Um, <laughs> Moderns, I think, fall into this problem. We want things to be equal, and we think equality means right, it has to be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But they can be equal and not be the, not be the same. Okay? It's, it's, it's okay if they're not the same. Um, so next week what we'll talk about is the nature of Scripture. In, in, we're, we'll talk about the insp- inspiration of Scripture and the canon. Okay? How, how did the books that we have in the Bible come to be the books we have in the Bible? And how exactly were they written? Um, and, and we're going to continue to use scripture as the guide Because as I said, the, the book explains itself um, This whole time we've been, right, How many verses have we looked at The book explains itself we, it's, There's not some fancy doctrines Men have come up with So for next week um, Just continue to read uh, Continue to read Yeah, it's uh, the doctrine Okay, so chapter Finish chapter 1 Okay. Yeah, I have page numbers on this handout that I gave, um, but the, the new edition of the book has different page numbers. So by next week, you're supposed to have the whole first chapter read. Okay. And then I will send out the link again to the Westminster Confession, because the first chapter of that is also supposed to be read, but it's it's pretty short. Okay. Any, any questions? Yes. I can't remember the books, the names of the books. That I remember. Oh, uh, she has it there. One's called How to Read the Bible. Yeah. So it's chapter one of the, um, the Yeah, I can send out a copy of it to you if you don't have the book yet. I don't have the book yet. Okay, well, I'll send it to you. Wait, i to say about doing the class. Because I, yeah, I have it on Logos, and so I'm, I'm allowed to, to distribute. It's like a copyright laws. So or whatever. It's kind of of copy copy. Yeah, like I, I can, I will do the first chapter and send it out. Okay, okay so that people can read it for next week. And then, because we won't need the book again for a couple weeks. Be, okay? Yep. Opinion, we need the study guide for, for Uh, I, I wouldn't mind if you had it simply because it gets you to think about what you've read. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that one I don't think the Kindle's gonna work very well. Yeah, the Kindle's not gonna work very well for that, <laughs> but yeah, I do want you guys. I mean, this is part of like we're doing some high theology here, you're gonna read. Uh, selections from it. But then the, the other element, like I, I, I learned yesterday, I'm, I'm taking a class on the scriptures myself, and, and all the lecturing he did, the last half hour, he, the Dr. Lightheart just wanted, he said, okay, open your Bibles and we're going to just now talk about a section. So I think we have to be able to talk about what we've read, um, and, and that'll help us process, I think. So that we can do that. Okay? Alright, thanks guys. Thank you.